0: Welcome to the Hurley edition, the fifth episode. We are climbing up the numbers of episodes to five. Thank you for checking it out. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Michael Hurley, the host of the Hurley edition. And this week, I am welcoming on a man who I feel is like the man behind the curtain here at the Sports Hub. He is, he's got his hand in everything. He's got a little bit of this, a little bit of that. He's on the air every day from 10 to 2 with Zolak and Bertrand. He's got his weekend show with Trubiano he puts together your your favorite squeaky maz and mad Mike clips. He he's cut so many ninety eight Mile songs. He's just a jack of all trades. He's he's doing it all. He's at the golf club. He is Rob Hardy Poole. And what I I mean I know Hardy personally, and I think he's an interesting guy. And then I think I think on the air he sorta of has not a shield. That would be wrong, because I don't think he shields, but there's a little bit of intrigue, a little bit of mystery surrounding who this Hardy fella is? I don't think I don't think most people listening know even his name. So I think it starts there, and and I wanted to talk to him, get to know not only who he is, but his background, because uh, as a someone who grew up listening to rock radio and noticing nowadays as an adult that there doesn't seem to be rock radio the way that it used to be here in the world, and it's 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 a sad thing. So I, I think you know Fred and Rich with Toucher and Rich got, got all the the attention and publicity, obviously, for, for the transition they made from from hosting a rock show to hosting a sports talk show, and rightfully so of course. But Hardy made that same transition and I think there's a lot to it and there's a lot of interesting angles to, to discuss and, and because I think it's understated how how I shouldn't say seamless, because it wasn't... I'm sure there were some hiccups, but how, how successful that, that transition was. And Hardy was a part of it, having DJed at WBCN for a few years, for several years, uh, leading up to the, the switch to the sports hub. So I think, I think it's interesting, but ultimately that's up for you to decide. And what is not interesting is me talking about something that's interesting. So here we go. Rob Hardypool. Okay, joined now by the one and only Rob Hardy. Cool. The thunderous applause is overwhelming. What do you? Wh- Thanks for coming in.
1: When you were tapping the microphone, is that how you start the show? Is that That's like, like uh,
0: you know, in the colors, the color bars for TV. Yeah. That was my audio color bars. Okay. I, don't, I don't have the tips of the. I'm not a professional like you, so that's okay. what I want to talk to. I do have one ground rule to start this podcast. One ground rule. When I come to talk to you sometimes... Your eyes light up, and you're like, "Oh, Hurley's here! This should be funny. This should be fun." And then other times, your eyes go down, and your shoulders slump, and you're like, "God damn it, Hurley's here!" Well, so I just want you to talk to me the same way you always talk to me.
1: I am going to light up this time because I have the time. Okay. The only time you'll see my shoulders slump and me look down is when I'm busy, and it's never quick with you.
0: Oh, yes, yes. I'm not known for my brevity. No, that's and it's
1: not a bad thing. I mean, because you're an enjoyable person to talk to. But uh, I, I'm sure that's not the first time you've heard that. There aren't a lot of quick conversations. With it's you. true. Okay. It's true. We're it's not good. in and out. But you it's know, fine.
0: if if I bother you, just don't don't hide it. You know, okay. don't 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 hold back because so, I find you're I find you're at your best when you're. Very upset with me.
1: Okay. Well, uh, you know, I'll I'll I'm not gonna fake anything, but if I get upset that'll be fine. So this is the Hurley Edition podcast, and this podcast is about what?
0: This podcast is about conversations and interesting people. And I've mm. you were high on my list. Okay. I've been lucky so far in All that right. the people that were high on my list have have agreed to come on. Okay. That's because I pay an exorbitant fee, as you know. Um but you are a day one sports hub employee from yeah. the, from from the ground floor. And you know you're better spoken than any of them, so I wanted to talk to you about about that.
1: And also, first, first part, yeah. Second part, maybe not so much, but yeah. I was here before day one as one of the tra- you know part right. of the transition crew, and was here with BCM beforehand. So yeah. So
0: by my estimations, yeah. at 24, 23 hours a week for seven, someone you're closing in on like ten thousand hours on the air, <laughs> on the sports hub air. My math might be off, but. Um, wow. and it's in that range. Okay, and yet I, <laughs> so I should feel... be an expert. Ten thousand hours yes. is the benchmark for becoming an expert in. Something. You're very close to being like the Michael Jordan of radio, but <laughs> I still think, and you can dispute this, but I still think you're kind of a mystery man. You're kind of a, a you do more things than people realize, and there's there's you're not as as much of an open book maybe as as some of the other people. Okay. Is that fair? Well, I think it's. I think it probably speaks to the way I've I've kind of been
1: like my whole like adult life and even before that, and, and that's you know to use a cliche the you know jack of all trades master of none. Mm. I do a lot of different things. I've always done a lot of different stuff, and I've neither had the the talent nor the inclination to pursue any of them to their you know logical end, which would be becoming the best at something. Uh, no, I'm pretty good. I think at a at a lot of different things, which is not necessarily a, a a route that I would recommend to people in terms of going about their life, but it it, it has given me a very Fulfilling and a very interesting and a very and a very colorful life and career. Uh, so maybe, maybe it is the way to go. I don't know.
0: I mean, it seems to me like every day of work for you is different than the day before it. Yeah, generally, yeah,
1: which is great, and that's how I love it. I mean, I still, I, I mean, this week alone, I will probably engage in five totally different things uh, for my quote unquote work. You know, what do you do? Well, you know, this week I'm going to, you know, be on the air with Zolak and Bertrand five days. Um, I'm also going to go off tomorrow and shoot a commercial that I auditioned for um, with uh, David Ortiz is the star of it. But it's a really it's a Skechers commercial and they were looking for. Uh, 35 to 45 year old golfers.
0: So you auditioned not as hardy radio personality as man just with a, shirt. Just Yeah, just
1: a guy, which was galling for me. I felt like Joan Crawford. Can you believe <laughs> that mayor wants me to do a screen test? <laughs> But no, I don't mind going in as an unknown because I largely am an unknown. So I went, I went in and auditioned, and I, I had to go in for a call back and wow. all of this for a job as an extra, Hollywood you know, Hardy, you know, as an extra in a Sketchers commercial with David Ortiz. But you know what? I would rather go do that. I, I always, I always err on the side of doing something than not doing something. Why not? I seriously, some people are like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do. That. No, people think you know I crap on everything and I'm negative. No, I've done a lot of different stuff, in my life, and I continue to do new things. So you know I'm going to be doing that tomorrow. I'm going to be working a revolution game on Friday night. Uh, early Saturday morning, I have to be, you know, down doing an appearance before the, uh, you know, some MS uh, bikeathon thing, and then I'll be, you know, any cannons games this week? Uh, no cannons, no, no, no. I kind of like, gave you handed the mantle or uh, oh, passed really? the baton over to uh, Big Jim Murray on that this oh, year. Oh, wow! No, I mean the production stuff they'll do for Felger Maz and puppets and all this stuff. Yeah, I'm just, I'm always. I, I guess I'm trying to keep myself interested <laughs> all the time.
0: I want to get into all the things you do here okay. later, but I want to okay. st- because I feel like, and I, granted, I didn't Google that hard, but you are almost ungoogleable. <laughs> you, to get <laughs> information on you, I did Google and I go through about two pages, and I'm like, okay, that's enough googling on Hardy today. But it starts with, I guess, operating under a nickname, and is that is that a requirement of rock radio? I mean, I imagine you can't be like, welcome no. to this is 99 X, and you're listening to Rob. Nope. No, you could have uh, been Rob?
1: Uh, I could have been anything. My nickname before I got into radio was Hardy. It was okay. a nickname I got when I was in college, and just everybody called me Hardy. Assume my name was Hardy, and I was introduced to, um, in fact, I was Rob Poole on the radio. on New Country 102 WILS, today's hot country favorites back-to-back. Wow.
0: Um, did you turn the monitors down during the uh, music breaks there, or did you yeah, jam? Yeah, it, uh, it
1: was brutal. But, you know, yeah, I had to do it. You know, you had to get, you know, some tape, had to get a, a job in radio before I could get the job I really wanted, which was at an alternative station in East Lansing, Michigan. And I got introduced to the program director, uh, you know, through a mutual friend who introduced me as Hardy. He's like, oh, Hardy, that sounds good. Okay, well, uh, Hardy, you're going to be on the air tonight. And they put me down on the schedule, you know, for my first shift, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. Nice. in the middle of the week as Hardy. I'm like, okay, it's Hardy. And that's uh, that's I just that's how I became known in in radio. That was uh, February of 1994. So for 23 years, pretty much any time I've gone on the radio since then, I've been Hardy. It's interesting.
0: It's not bad. I've always
1: wondered. It's all right. It's... I mean, the, the name Hardy itself, uh, how I got it is not as interesting. But that's what I've been called for pretty much my entire adult life. How did you get it? In college, there was this guy on my, in my dorm who who thought my name was Rod instead of Rob, and he started calling me Hot Rod. I was in a jock dorm okay. at Michigan State, you know, like a lot of football players, and you know, lax bros, it, you know, and it. <laughs> No, I don't know. I don't know if uh, lax bros were a thing yeah. when I started at Michigan State. They were little lax baby bros. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. growing up.
1: But you know, I was very timid. I was I was small. You know, I was you know I didn't I didn't grow into anything resembling a, a human adult man <laughs> until I was well into my twenties. So I, I didn't have the heart to correct them or or the courage to. So <laughs> just went by a different name. There's Rod. Yeah. Hey, what's up? Hot Rod. Where well, there goes Hot Rod. Hey, look. There's Hot Rod Hearts. Hot Rod Hearts, everybody! Which is a Bobby Dupree song from the 70s. Hot Rod Hearts got shortened to Hearts. Hearts became Hardy. So, from my freshman year at Michigan State, I've
0: been known as Hardy. You said that wasn't a good story. (laughs) It's not not a good story. (laughs) Well, it is a bad story, but it's a good story. It's a good, bad story. Okay. So, you were at BCN. I listened to BCN. I'm not, like, a BCN historian. How long were you at BCN?
1: Uh... I moved to Boston in December, I think, of 2004. My first day on the air was in January of 2005 and right up until the very end, which was August
0: 2009. And you hosted the penultimate show to ever air on WBCN, according to the yeah. documentary that's on YouTube.
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh I, I signed on here and started here. I, uh, Nick Carter left BCN. I took over. Afternoon drive... Um, and was on for about a year and a half. At that time, the station was really in trouble because Howard Stern had had gone full time over to, mm-hmm. um, you know, satellite. satellite. They the David Lee Roth experiment failed miserably.
0: Well, it's a subjective term. <laughs> it was on the airwaves.
1: It was it was <laughs> it broadcast. Else, boy, and around that time, uh, everybody was trying to figure out how to fix it and how to how to fix you know not only that whole experiment but but wbcn specifically and to do that i think what happened and you can double check you know my sources on this but i was always told that two morning shows got hired at the same time like one got hired here locally another one got hired in new york and the two didn't tell each other so essentially opie and anthony and tudger and rich got hired at the same time and tudger and rich came in and you know, one of the bosses here told me and said, Look, there's a chance that we're gonna have two morning shows for a while and uh Toucher and Rich we're gonna we're gonna have to put them in afternoons and you're gonna have to move to nights. But it won't be for very it ended up being for a while. Like two. It was years? a couple of years I had to do nights.
0: When they were doing afternoons, right? And when
1: Toucher and Rich were doing Which afternoons.
0: Which was like oh six to
1: Yeah. And the times kept changing. It was like it was like like six to ten at night and then six to eleven and then it was I I don't even remember all the different like you know variations. Who cares? Whatever. I ended up moving back to afternoons when Toucher and which went to mornings, and then the station you know
0: totally disappeared. So how was it that night being the second to last DJ in BCN history? On I don't. The air?
1: Di- I, you know, I think I treated it with the with the right amount of importance and and. You know, I wasn't solemn about it. I do remember getting a little choked up on my very last break and thinking really hard about the last song that I wanted to play. I think other people treated it a lot more seriously and put a lot more thought into it. Adam 12 essentially wanted everybody out of the studio for his final four hours on the air, and he mapped out every song. Uh, and that just speaks to the professional that he was. I had a bunch of music I wanted to play, but I also had people I wanted to put on the air. Robbie Roadsteamer came in, and he was on with me for a while. And other people were like in and out. I think maybe Carter Allen came in with me. Charles Laquadera had, had phoned in either that day or the day before, and I was kind of loose about it, you know. I, but really, truly, no one knew what was going to happen after that. Um, you know, I didn't. You know, Adam Twelve was was off to I'm not even sure if he knew what job he was gonna have next. I wasn't sure
0: how the sports hub thing was gonna work well, out. The timing that was months before the sports hub launched, right? No, it was two days before. Oh really? Oh yeah. Yeah. The oh, I d- thought it I thought it just aired music for a while, I guess. I'm mis misremembering. WBCN signed off. We knew for about a it was month July or August. that it was gonna
1: happen. Uh, we knew for well over a month, months that it was going to happen. But the, you know, we signed off the air. I think on a on a, a Tuesday was our last day, uh, or or on a Wednesday was our last day. Uh, on Thursday, um, we ran like all of the 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 Patriots Super Bowl. Yeah, games, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And then the first live show was Belger and, and Maz. Okay, it's piecing together. This was a long time ago, <laughs> but I mean, I. I still can't... It's a very long time ago. You have a background in rock radio. Yeah. And I look at the radio landscape, and I don't understand how we... I know ZLX is ZLX, and it's a powerhouse, but why does ZLX have to adapt and start playing the Foo Fighters and, and Pearl Jam and, and all sorts of post-2000 music? How is there no market for rock radio? Because for for me, growing up in Boston, it was always 104.1 and, and 101.7 were always in the radio presets. And there was, there's never been a replacement for it, and it's just how does that, how does that go? We have two country stations in this. Yeah,
1: city. but there are you know stations playing new music in this town, and I, you know I don't think they do great. But the fact is, there's so many other ways to get your new music, and that was starting, you know even before BCN signed off, and there was... It was really tough. You know, BCN had an identity problem. You know, are they a talk station? Well, we got Toucher and Rich. We had a, you know, talking morning show. Are we a sports station? Well, I we got the Patriots on Sunday. It was kind of sports. Were you a music station? You know, if you're all of those things, then you're none of those things, and it becomes really difficult. They're very... Fa- you know, there's only a handful of stations that were alternative rock powerhouses or rock powerhouses throughout the 80s, 90s, 2000s that are still around. You know, K-Rock yeah. in L.A. is is still doing it but you know I don't know of of any others I truly don't I mean all these stations these you know great stations that I knew about when I was working when I first started 94 back in Michigan you know we looked at what these stations were playing to help decide what we were going to play you know what new music should we be playing we'd take out a physical hard copy of radio and records newspaper and say well in k rock in la is playing this um q 101 in chicago is playing this and wbcn in boston is playing this so maybe we should play this song this song this song that helped us decide you know out of those three stations i named i think only one of them is still around yeah. So it's you know it was it's a, it was a tough time for you know rock stations playing new music. We were playing a lot of old music. We were sharing our playlist with at least three other stations in the market, and you know I, someone decided that hey, why not an FM sports talk? And someone had decided that actually
0: a long time before. Well, that was the a good idea. It signed
1: out. It was a good it's idea, but out. but people didn't think it was going to work.
0: Yeah. Well. Well, because I mean, I guess the internet probably played a bigger role than. Because in 1994, for a band to break at break huge, you'd need a radio station to bring them into town, have a concert, have them in studio, things like that. And then by the time, word of mouth on the internet could spread things so much quicker with message boards. And at that point, YouTube was, was growing pretty large. I'm trying to think of how people got their music in 2008. iTunes was pretty more powerful then than it is now. So I guess the, the, the monopoly over rock was lost a bit. From the and, internet,
1: right? And you know, when you're playing songs like you know Pearl Jam and Nirvana and and Sublime and Red Hot Chili Peppers, man, we played a lot of Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> As your, you know, that was like the meat, and then everything else would be the sauce and the dressing. You know, you're talking about the new music. Well, the the meat of the of the music sandwich on BCM was also being played by 92.9 and AAF and FNX
0: and. Kiss one oh eight. They were playing Sublime, and there you know? was that uh, that station that was just a computer, Mike Mike FM or Mike I don't know Mike Radio. And I don't even remember what they were playing, but yeah, probably live. Play- a lot of live. So there- every five songs was live.
1: Yeah, there were a lot of different ways <laughs> to get the you know the the same chicken that we were serving up, um, and it, it became just an unsustainable product. So. And, you know, the Sports Hub was launched, and like I said, i thinking, you know, a lot of people thought it wouldn't necessarily work, and lo and behold, here we are.
0: It's worked out. And we'll, I want to get into your role in that right. later, but I don't want to leave the rock radio topic yet, because right. a personal admission, I guess a confession here, is I'm always intimidated by rock radio DJs and rock radio people, because they seem to know everything about everything, um, like, I don't know, Jim Morrison, like, blue t-shirts on tuesdays in june and things like that are you encyclopedic with your with your rock knowledge and history i mean from like
1: 90s alternative and grunge and and well into the 2000s i know a lot but let me just say hurley a, a rock radio dj is the last person on the planet you should be intimidated by
0: well i'm intimidated by intimidated by everybody so no you're not that's, that's among a, that's, that's not true and let me say this
1: it the worst part about working in radio is you have to work with radio people, hmm. and that is... Hmm. I, I will reserve that mostly for the music
0: radio people,
1: and I was one of them, and I get it. in An insufferable lot.
0: Well, it's kind of like an insular life. You're kind of you and your microphone and your computer, now. No.
1: Yeah, but you know, you think you're bigger and more important than you are, you know, you expect, you know, some degree of respect and for what? You know, <laughs> you're not making the
0: music. I've got a microphone.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're talking for like 30 seconds three or four times an hour. What what what? You're supposed to be treated as something special? Uh, well, it's always
0: meant something. It's a, like it's it silly, has, it has. but it's always you know had a certain gravitas to but it. But
1: I'm one of them, and I get a radio. People, they're the worst, <laughs> the worst. Yeah, but I, I I still do music radio. That's one of the other things that I do. When you're listening right, up, right, all, the right. things, all the things, all things I'm going to do this week. One of the things I'm going to do this week is is a show on Sirius XM on Lithium. Um, which is the 90s alternative and grunge channel. I've been doing that for, I don't know, going back to last year. So, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons why I got that gig is like, yeah, I know a lot about these bands.
0: You know, I interviewed. So, all the bands you experienced and sort of grew up and grew through your 20s yeah. actually experiencing is where your expertise lies. Sure. You're not like a 70s, I, I got 70s the, British rock. Didn't I start rock. this
1: whole thing by yeah. saying I'm not an expert at anything? Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. okay,
0: so you are closer to the expert there than in other maybe, areas. Maybe in other areas. 80s electronica. Right. So I have, because you are ungoogleable, not on Wikipedia as far as I know, right? Probably not. Uh, I've got your life in Michigan. Yeah. I've got a question mark. I've got a question mark. I've got Vegas. I've got a question mark, and then I've got Boston.
1: Michigan. Albuquerque, New Mexico. Ooh. For about two and a half years at a at a radio station there called one oh seven point nine The Edge. Of course. Um from there to Las Vegas for about six, seven years at a CBS alternative rock station, which was a flamethrower. That station was ginormous it, I can was, imagine yeah it just we, we were playing very like I, I went there in 98 and the station was already doing well and then as the city grew the station kind of grew and we were you know we were doing things that were unheard of at the time it seems so tame now but oh my god there's a station playing Prodigy smack my bitch up at 10 o'clock in the morning like yeah it's a, 20, it's a true 24 hour town it's Las Vegas. It's, it's Las Vegas. It's like, yeah, we would do anything we wanted and 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 play whatever music we wanted at any time of day, and and we're you know truly irreverent for the time. And it was uh, that was that was a really fun time. And uh, you know, I got married while I was living out there, and and my wife and I decided we wanted to have kids, and probably didn't want to raise them in Las Vegas, and uh, the opportunity to work at B C N. In Boston, came up and we jumped at the opportunity and moved to Boston. We've been here ever since. I've lived in Boston longer than I have any place uh, at my residence right now in 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 Roslindale, in Boston, Massachusetts. Do you I want to have, give your address out? Uh, no, but okay. I I have lived there longer than any place other than my first childhood home, which I moved from when I was thirteen, and I am coming up on thirteen years at my at my home in in Rosie.
0: That calls for a party. Yeah, I mean it's. You're it, officially becoming a Bostonian. My kids are Boston. Not that you're not, my, but it,
1: my kids, born and raised in the city of Boston, that that says that means something. I don't know what yet. It's identity. It is for them. It will be. They are Bostonians,
0: and it's better than Las Vegas. I have to imagine. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what the school system is like. Um, what kind of teachers are drawn to the Las <laughs> Vegas area? But I imagine they take a lot of sick days. I think it's maybe like that the, was bad it maybe that's wrong of me. Maybe is, that's wrong. It
1: is one of the largest school districts in the country. It might be second only to the New York City public school system. The Clark County school system is huge.
0: I just remember reading about when the Raiders were announced to go to Vegas, there was something about the school system needing like billions of dollars that they won't get, but the the football stadium will get built.
1: I really liked living in Vegas. It was a fun place well, to you live. You were
0: what, late 20s, early
1: 30s? <laughs> yeah. <but laughs> On a rock make, station? Making just a little bit of money for the first time in my life. So cheap to live out there. Yes, working for a, a rock station. Was where, your time slot? Uh, I did night. For a long time, oh. seven to eleven or seven to midnight, and then I, I that's moved. like the
0: morning in the in Vegas, yeah, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I, was, I like moved to middays after a while, but yeah, I mean I, the the station was called Extreme Radio. We used to do something called the Triple Extreme Cruise, where we, you know, like the whole staff and and you know, a handful of winners fr- uh locally, we would all fly to uh, L.A. and and then drive over to Long Beach and get on a a boat. And take a three day cruise to Ensenada with members from the adult film industry. Oh. That would also that would sponsor the trip, either Vivid Video or one of them. It was called the Triple X Dream Cruise. That was the type of promotions we did at that radio station. Yeah. It was it was the the wildest you know, most fun time of my life. Of
0: course it was. That sounds like. Of
1: course it was.
0: If you were to say I was a, a rock DJ in Vegas, what would a promotion be like? I think that's what most people would conjure up in their head. Yeah. Well,
1: I mean, we would do some standard giveaways. It's like, oh, there's a golf tournament coming to town. We have to give away tickets. What should we do? Oh, let's do putts with sluts. And we would Mm -hmm. take a little practice green over to the Spearmint Rhino, Mm -hmm. and they would sponsor an event, and we would have, like, a putting contest at a strip club. Naturally.
0: Yeah, I think I I remember learning about that in one of my communications classes uh, in college. Um, So that sounds like, so, but it was just a matter of time to reach a certain level of adulthood, or could you have done that for, is that station still existing? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, them. I went on the air there. Uh, uh, that was a weird at, way to ask that. Is it still existing?
1: Yeah, like a guest DJ spot a little over a year ago uh, for the 20th anniversary of the of the radio station. Was that it? Is that what I was out there for? Can't remember. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went out there, and uh, they're still there, and some of the people I worked with are still there. And yeah, like I said, Las Vegas is a, is a fine town to live in. Um, as long as you don't get carried away. In the first few years there, I did get carried away, but the, you know, that's life. It's was living. I think most people would. Sure. Fine.
0: So we covered the BCN okay. era pretty much. You, yeah. you covered that pretty well. Yep. So it starts, you find out probably in the spring of 09 that something's changing, that BCN is ending, that the sports hub is coming. Somewhere between March and July, you probably learned all that. So it finally flips. And what is, what is that like for you, having not done, as far as I know, sports talk radio before?
1: Well, you know, they approached me and Toucher and Rich, uh, and I don't know if our conversations were, were similar, but it was, for me, it was, we're going to audition. Give, if you want to work at the sports hub, you can try out. Essentially, you know, I'd already been a CBS employee for a while. Like, all right, so uh, essentially, if you want to keep your job with CBS, you have to audition for it. You know, you hear about this in corporate America. You have to re-interview for your job at a lower salary. And that's exactly what happened. In fact, I wasn't even salaried at the beginning. It's like, okay, you've been a full-time DJ and a production guy for CBS for all these years. That all ends on August whatever, 13th, 2009. And if you want a part-time job on the sports station, you have to try out for it. How does that work? Just because the call
0: letters are changing? Well, I was a rock DJ. I wasn't a sports guy. It's the same company, though. That's that's so what crazy, yeah, you know? It's like <laughs> I mean, there were probably seven million applicants wor- for that spot, so it's if not.
1: We worked for Nike, and we were really good at making shoes. But the next day, they said, "Actually, we're going to make blenders now." <laughs> and say, okay, well, I, I kind of know. How, I think I can, you know. I did I, aud- I did audition, did a couple of different like you know tryout shows, and 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 you know did get a job, and you know. Jerry Truppiano and I were with the first weekend show ever on the station, you know, two days after the station launch. We were on at 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning. How'd and, that go? Um, I was terrified. Terrified. I was used to talking for just, you know, no more than a couple of minutes, right. three or four times an hour. And now, you know, the guy points at you, 8 a.m., go. And you got to fill until 8.15. Go. Go. Talk.
0: And it's Luckily, the middle of the summer. Doesn't help, <laughs> right? Could have been like you know February. Oh man,
1: I can't. I can't even think back. If if you were to, you know, in my hell would probably be those few days leading up to that first show. Just living those days over and over. My groundhog day hell because I was terrified. I really was.
0: And you know, everyone's listening, looking to make decided judgments about the station and about you and right about the away. show. Yes. Yes. So I mean. Boston sports fans, not always known as the most accommodating group. They want to test you, test your knowledge, test your history. Was there an intimidation factor? Oh, yeah. There was a guy who called in. It was probably
1: only our second or third show we had ever done, and some guy called up and said, what gives you (laughs) any license to be on the air talking sports? like, do you know where Joe Montana went to college? Do you even know that? I'm like, well, that's a random question, (laughs) and at that moment, I didn't. You know, you're live on the radio, and someone puts you on the spot, and it's like, you know, I knew before then, and I certainly know after then.
0: Where did Joe Montana go to college?
1: <laughs> Siri won't answer.
0: Montana's college was Notre Dame. Oh, how about that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. the Fighting Irish?
1: <laughs> yeah, see, you didn't know either. <laughs> no, it's like one of those things you know until you're put on the spot. You know. Yeah. It's I, I. heard somebody do this to to Fred Toucher yesterday.
0: Yes, uh, talking about the Celtics. Can you name the starting five? They name the starting five, and it's Fred like, handled that masterfully. Yeah, uh,
1: it's like of course you can, but it's like when you're live on the radio and somebody's calling you out, and you're in an argument with somebody. Oh, wait a second. Are you are you talking about? Wait, because Tyler's. Hold on a second. It was uh, the Amir starting lineup changed thirty times yeah. <laughs> in forty games. It's like I can I can definitely I can give you three. <laughs> I can definitely give you three. On top think of my Isaiah head, Isaiah started. Yeah, <laughs> so Al Horford, Isaiah. <laughs> yeah, I can I can I can get close. So yeah, it's it was totally intimidating. And he was right. Nothing gave me the right to be on the air in that moment except for one thing. I knew how to do radio. Right. And that's what I think they figured out really early on on this station, whether it was me or Toucher and Rich or some of the producers they brought over, was that in addition to sports guys, they needed radio guys here mm-hmm. from the very beginning and i knew how to do radio i had done you know morning shows afternoon shows i'd worked in different formats i'd done college i started doing radio in high school back in 1987 doing a daily morning show man i if there's one thing i do know if you could make a a case for me being you An know a quote-unquote expert at any one thing it's just like Being on the radio, okay? I'm not saying I'm great at it, and I'm not hosting in my own daily show, but I know how to be on the radio every day, and that's what they needed. They needed guys who knew how to be on the radio every day, and that's how I think I was able to you know parlay that audition into an actual job with the sports hub and then keep convincing the bosses and other shows it's like hey if you need you know a production piece maybe i can do it for you if you need someone to host a golf show i would love to do that if you need somebody to go do this event i can do that it's all Mm -hmm. under the umbrella of radio
0: and i did uh in my googling come across your work with bcn at the opening of cbs scene where you scored a one-on-one with tom brady yeah, you got him to sarcastically answer all of their sneaky injury practices. You could have really, that could have really done some damage uh, in the uh, news front.
1: Something tells me uh, Brady does not remember that interview and would not hold it against me. And uh, it was a red carpet deal for the. What, what was it? Uh, it was grand the opening, opening of CBS TV. scene. Yeah.
0: I've seen him do many interviews over the years. He looked very much like he did not want to speak to you, but he saw that the camera was on, <laughs> and so he gave you two answers, and so it wasn't bad. Uh, yeah. It wasn't, well. it wasn't too bad. So you made the transition, largely a rock DJ going to the sports station without really any like landing area. You just had to do it. How much do you resent Toucher and Rich for getting all the publicity for doing that? Where are all the articles on Hardy?
1: Zero. Where are? Where's the pub? No, because what Toucher uh, and Rich are doing... Is I was joking.
0: Oh, okay. No, no, okay. <laughs> you were pissed at me.
1: No, what, what I mean, Toucher and Rich have gone from. Look, they started making the move early, and they were smart. They were really smart about it. when they knew they were going to be given a shot at doing a morning uh, a morning talk show. They stopped playing a lot of music on their show uh, on B C N, and they started gearing themselves up for the bits it, in yeah, the longer segments, longer segments, and doing all that stuff, which they were, you know, they really wanted to do anyway. But it made sense for them. But still, to, to take a you know a rock music-based morning show and turn it into a sports show, it's not moving heaven and earth. You know, it's, it's not teaching yourself to be a, be a brain surgeon in your 30s. But it requires uh, a lot of effort and a, and a lot of things that you would never think about until it's too late and you're already doing
0: it. And they deserve a lot of credit for it. Um, Well, I think what gets overlooked is how unique this market is, especially with sports, where it's it's not always going to be an accommodating. Yes, everyone's sports rabid, but it's not as if no matter what, we, w- no matter what everyone did when they went in the air, it was going to be a hit. And it, like, it had, to, yeah. it had to appeal to them, it had to grab them, and it had to convince them to keep listening. And, right. it, and it did sort of right from the start.
1: Well, you had to, you know, there is, there is a pressure to try and be, you know, good right away. And one thing you said earlier, it's like, oh, you, know, you weren't going to be accepted by the sports audience. I think I'd already gone through the worst of it, honestly, Mike, when I moved to Boston. There's, if, I mean, people hate, hate. Hate outsiders, mm-hmm. there were people who loved Nick Carter and hated the fact that he was gone, and this nobody that they had never heard of was now on in his place and it was it was vile, it was awful, and we still get you know vile stuff, but now it at least it is not always accompanied by you frickin outsider right. you know you you're not even from here I've been here long enough to wear. For the most part, I've kind of lost that and being thrown at me. And you know what? I can throw it right back at people. I have, like, recently people talk about, you know anything about Boston? I've lived in the city of Boston longer than, you know, anybody who's, like, foolish enough to, like, you know, hurl that at me now. I'm like, where do you live? You know? I really, I want to find out where you live. Oh, I live in Framingham. Okay, I've spent more time in the city of Boston and paying attention to Boston sporting events and being in and around the city and the people here than a lot of people who grew up in the suburbs and still live here. Right. If you're really talking about being in it, I'm not talking about your... Because once you get outside the city... Swampskit. The suburbs are pretty much like suburbs in a lot of other places. It's all the same crap. It's strip malls and it's all this stuff. You know, the uniqueness of the city of Boston, it exists. It is unlike any other place I've lived, but the further
0: out you go the less there is that's unique about it so i don't know except for the dunkin donuts that's a bit unique we've got many of those you've got to give it to in the state of massachusetts they're popping up all over the place they're right <laughs> across the street from each other the rest of the
1: world is is catching on to that but you know what i'm saying yeah no no i know i i, I
0: totally understand
1: and it. it's it's And and that was the worst part about moving here was like you know after you know day after day it was it was really you had to just you know do your best to ignore it it's like you know people here are never going to accept me they're never going to quote unquote like me because I'm not from here
0: so there's some sort of hump to just get over and
1: yeah I don't know what it is five years ten years never you know (laughs) there's a certain amount of never in there but you know the longer you hear the the less you hear that
0: I grew up in Arlington. Nearby, I never actually lived in Boston, so I can't speak for everyone. But I accept you. I Thank welcome you. you. Thank Thirteen you. years is my limit.
1: You know, my kids are. You know, they're born here. They're being raised. You don't here. have to they're, convince me. You've, yeah, you've no. I mean, it's you know, if uh, I I feel like I should get some kind of reverse immigration, you know, mm,
0: consideration. Maybe like on, on your Wikipedia page when we make it after this, you can put Boston Bass, just location. Sure, that's people will associate it. Yeah, your sports fandom. I know you like the Lions, love the Lions. Yeah. Uh, the Red Wings, I believe, yep. are in there, and yep. then Michigan State. Yeah, is those that, are is yeah, that very good. Yeah, that's, that's what I gather. That's it. Those are the big three. N- not a lot of love for the Tigers. No nope. Pistons. Uh, Pistons
1: certainly, Old but school. Um, They're very boring it, now. Everything happens, I think, to somebody in their in their sports fandom that kind of like turns you off of a team. Was there um, one moment for the uh, was and it I, the, was and, it
0: the malice at the palace? I
1: still like the Red Wings, and I I still follow them, uh, but. It was for me when they signed Chris Chelios, and I, I'm what? What at like forty five? I'm like, he was a Black Hawk. Like, what do you? You know, it was like an awakening. You know, like, mm-hmm. oh, these guys don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was I was at Joe Lewis. I I was living in New Mexico, but uh, a buddy of mine called me up like the the night before Game Four. At Jolo's Arena, 1997, when the Red Wings had, were already up 3-0 in the series against the Flyers. And this guy's name was the guy that I worked with at a, at a rock station in Lansing, New Rock Johnny D. And New Rock calls me up and Hardy, he had this real gravelly voice. The
0: Wings are going to win the cup. You
1: get here, you're going to the game. I'm like, are you serious? He goes, you're in, brothers, just get here. <laughs> So I, you know, I'm not making any money at that point. I'm living by myself in like this 400 square foot apartment in Albuquerque. But I max out my, you know, credit union credit card, and I get an overnight, you know, red eye on Southwest, and I fly home. And I, I go to the bar where New, you know, New Rock was then working because he got fired from his radio job. And I go in there. I'm like, I'm here, dude. He goes, all right, you made it. Now, you don't have a quote unquote ticket. <laughs> But here's what I got. And it turned out that his sister knew an usher at the Joe and was going to let us in. I'm like, I can't believe I've like bankrupted myself. Life is over. I can't believe I did this. We go to the game. We go to the Joe that night. And it's predetermined. The Red Wings are going to win the cup for the first time in 40-some-odd years. And they're going to sweep the Flyers. And there's this big thing going on. And there's no way we're getting in. There's no way. We go up to the door. We hand the usher, the one that she knows, four tickets to the Shrine Circus. It's before the days of Scanners. Looks at him, rips the tickets. Go ahead. Later on, he met up with us. We gave him 50 bucks each. So I was in the Joe for when the Wings won the Cup. And that was that was like the, the, the height of my Red Wing fandom. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. And then, you know... Something happens. A few yeah. years later, it's like, hey, you move away, you go back. It's like this sign, Chelios. It's like, yeah, you kind of fall out of love with him for a while. Still love them. I love the Pistons. What you know? What? Oh my God! The Bad Boys era, right. and and I'm sure a little revival when they won in o 0- three o four. That was the toughest thing, though. To oh yeah, that was huge. I got my wife to be a you know a, a Celtics fan at that, or excuse me, a Pistons Look fan at, you, at that Look at
0: you, point. little Bostonian. Oh Can't right. get it out
1: of your head. That's the one team I'll always have trouble rooting for is the Celtics because of what they did to the Pistons in the '80s.
0: You and Felger both seem very affected by whatever the Celtics did in the '80s to your local well, it teams Well,
1: I mean, I was what fifteen. Sixteen years old. I mean, like formative sports years when Bird stole the inbounding pass. When Bird stole the ball in that inbounding pass and dished it to DJ, and he laid it in, and it changed the entire momentum of the series. Mm-hmm. And the and the Celtics went went on to eliminate Detroit from the postseason. That was that was when you first thought that Detroit had a real chance of winning in eighty seven. Right. And it's like they didn't end up winning at all until eighty nine. And then they went back to back. But it's like no, I hated I hated what the Celtics did to that team. I hated watching Danny Ainge. Mm-hmm. 'Cause he was so good and he was making shots and just hated it, hated it. That's one thing I'll always have trouble with. But you know, it's when you move away from your hometown uh in, you know, back in the nineties, it was tough to keep up with your teams. You know? I wasn't you know how do you follow the Tigers when you're living in New Mexico? Pre
0: like a MLB TV on your laptop and things like that.
1: In 1996, you yeah. want to watch Tigers games? Good luck. Yep. You know it's it was really tough to do. It was tough to follow the Lions. The only way you could watch the Lions was to go to the bar that showed the the Lions games. And every you know you know every team in Vegas has their hometown team bar. Right. You know, like the Cowboys have this awesome sports bar, and the you know the Broncos had this beautiful you know bar that was a. The Lions Bar was a strip club. It was a strip club out on Boulder Highway. And it's like, no, I don't I don't want to watch him that much. So I got to see him like, on Thanksgiving. You weren't missing it was much. Tough.
0: <laughs> based on the time period, I don't believe. Post-Barry. Not uh, sure much was happening. Though. It was tough. It was tough. But I always feel like, I mean, in a theoretical world where some other city is like, hey, do you want to host a sports talk show here? I would be terrified to do it because I could talk modern day sports and maybe the past 10, 15 years, but anything beyond that, I know that I'm going to get schooled on. I can't talk about, you know, the 1985 Knicks with great... I don't have that experience. Right. So, like, there's no way to replicate that. And, I mean, I'm sure there's ways around it, but is it Well, just there, are,
1: there are ways around it, and the first thing he could have done was, like, what D.A. did. I mean, he... I don't know if this is true, but I heard him say once that he, like, literally read, like, Boston sports history books. Because he was moving here from Miami and knew yeah. nothing. I had already been living here for about five years, so knew enough as to, you know, what was going yeah. on with the teams. And, you know, on BCN, I did a, a weekly thing with Mike Gorman. And uh you know, I talked to Jerry Remy on my BCN show. we had a regular thing for a while. You know, it was the Rem Dog sponsored by whatever, probably Seven different sponsors, probably. No, I think it was one. I think it was probably that uh red dog beer. That <laughs> mm, the delicious red dog yeah, beer. You know, something like that. So you don't see
0: that too often anymore.
1: <laughs> I already had an inkling uh in inclination, excuse me. Mm-hmm. An um, inkling. An inkling. Of of what you know, the, the the landscape was all about, but I also quickly learned that. What happened in the past is not nearly as important as what was happening, like, A, right now, and B, what is your opinion about that?
0: Right. That's has- definitely changed over the past five to seven years, It's just having that... But you, reaction and things like that.
1: But you hear how Felger launched in, you know, uh, you know, his day when he had already been doing sports talk in this town. He had already been, you know, he made his bones in this town on the, you know, on the Herald, you know, high school desk for years. He knew he already knew how to do it. I'm not saying he's not getting any better at it, but right. yes, you come in with what's happening right now, and what is
0: your opinion on that right now? And that's like 95%. That's of what 95% you need
1: to know. of the gig, right? Yeah. Know what's going on right now. Oh, what about four years? Ago? Eh, anybody can look that up. You can fake it that, it doesn't necessarily matter and by the way you know having experience outside of the market can actually be really oh, beneficial at times. Absolutely. Yeah, because you know what it was, you know, what it's like uh, and what it was like in other, you know, in other towns. And for me, and like growing up in Detroit, and that's it, it, like, okay, I may not have the encyclopedic knowledge
0: of, you know, what the. You didn't watch the 96 Patriots run to the Super Bowl.
1: Or, you know, the, even in the 80s, you know, when the, when the, you know, Patriots were having, you know, one of their, you know, their good. Eras, right?
0: Well, a couple of years.
1: A couple of years, I know. I, I, I don't want say a season, but it's. But I know. I still knew about the NFL. I was watching it, and you probably you know, watch the Super Bowl. You you know things from outside of the market that give you, it. You know, a, just a different perspective. Right. And you know, honestly, would do you? You grew up here. Do I grew you ne- up here. Do you necessarily want to hear what your neighbor has to say about? uh you know the 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 red Sox in the 80s once again in 86
0: and that's like you should be in tune with your own strengths and weaknesses history and things i didn't experience is just a weakness of mine like i can't if i didn't experience it or go through it i'll just never know it very well i can fake it i can read the books but i'm gonna forget most of it so it's it's that's something that i know if i were to go to another city that would always be like the biggest frightening thing for me but you're fearless
1: I, no, it's not a question of fear. Look, I no, needed no, a job. I... <laughs> that's why I did it. That's why I tried it. And that's why, you know, I continue to do it. And it turns out that I love it. It was the best thing that ever happened to me, you know, career-wise was, you know, convincing them that I could do something at the sports hub and and continuing to do it after all these years. But at the, it, believe me, at the time it wasn't because you know I, was, I I just feel this need, this passion to share my my opinion on the the Bruins power play <laughs> <laughs> and what the Bruins are gonna do in the two thousand nine two thousand ten season. No, It was a good I, season. I had you know a, a young daughter. I had a, a you know a, a son that was you know gonna be born. Well, that's a whole another story.
0: But you know, it's just and you had a very specific skill set.
1: It was a really, really rough August. That, that's That summer for me leading up to BCN going away, that was really rough. We had, we had, you know, I don't want to get into, like, too much personal stuff, but my mm-hmm. wife and I, you know, suffered something that a lot of couples do when they're having children. You know, you can kind of, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, a loss there that was really heartbreaking for us, you know, losing my job. The dog that I had had, this yellow lab through, like, th- you know, that I had in three different states, this is a dog that had been with me, you know, since before I even had met my wife, you know, mm-hmm. from New Mexico to Las Vegas. I had to put that dog down. It was a country song. Everything that happened to me in that summer of 2009. So I just poured everything I had into, you know, doing this job at the sports hub, and, you know, it, it worked out because I, I needed something to go right yeah. at that point in my
0: life. I really did. And how did the the headline situation Settle itself out because it wasn't necessarily this guy to this show, this Ah, guy to this show. But how did you end up? I mean, because you. You know what? Felger wanted to have one guy with him for his entire show.
1: And and that ended Did that
0: up start with Bertrand or was it Jones?
1: I I I don't know I don't know. I but forget. it ended it ended up being Bertrand and I said okay I will I, I remember like going into one of the boss offices okay if this is what we're doing I would like to be like the guy who's on
0: every day with the with the midday show and yep. they said okay and ever since then you've sat next to Scott Zolak every day of your yeah, life for yeah. seven, for eight years yeah. How do you, how do you, you probably get a lot of questions about that. I do. Because I I see Zoe here and at events and things like that, and it's certainly not an act. He is always like that. I imagine when he's at home, he's quiet and in himself, but sitting next to him every single day, all those days, all that energy, all those things, what, what, how do you sum that up, working with Zoe? I, you know, I've got a couple of stock answers for this. I don't want the stock answer. I
1: want the real answer, deep down in the heart. I love the guy. I mean, I, we drive each other crazy, uh, and, 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 and he drives me absolutely nuts sometimes, and I'm sure I, I, I drive him nuts. And there are days he just can't stand the, the sight of each other, but not even for a day. With Zoe, he has a, you know, a certain way about him where you, you, A, can't stay mad at him, and B, he can't stay mad at people. He's just a good dude. This the the stock answer. Honestly, Hurley is is the truthful one. He sounds like a you know a twelve year old on the air. Mm-hmm. In real life, he's more like a ten year old. Mm. He is okay. you know even more. So, he's he's on his best behavior on the air. He is, I mean, just overflowing with like energy and passion. He bounces around, and I mean, I I love him, and I like you said, it's been every day for almost it'll be eight
0: years in the fall. Right? Right. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. 17? Oh, nine to 17. I'm not good at math, but I'm thinking we're closing in on eight.
1: Yeah, it just becomes, you know, part of, part of your life. And he's one of these people that's just in my life as much as, you know, anyone is over these last eight years. Yeah, more so, in, in, in a lot of ways. But uh, he's a character.
0: <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's, it's true. Freaking loon. I mean, his whole life is an interesting the whole process and, and the rise of Zo is a, a, a book in itself so it, that will someday be written, yeah, hopefully see, by Zo.
1: If if you ever have a chance to be like out on the town with Zo, it is something special, and it doesn't have to be like Foxborough or even Boston. You can be down at Fox. Chandler, Beach.
0: Arizona was a was a good time.
1: Yeah, but there's a lot of Patriots fans down there. I'm just saying, like, go to yeah. Connecticut, go to Foxwoods. Yeah, there's a lot of Boston people that I like every ten seconds. Zoe, stop, Zo, Zo, so, Zoe, so, 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 so. and he did. It's the most natural thing in the world for him. It's a magnet. Yeah, like there's uh, there's no act with it. Mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm, not mm-hmm, phony. Mm-hmm. There's no, none of it's an act. That's him.
0: If it is, it's a very it's a twenty four hours <laughs> seven days a week act. I'm telling you, it's not an act. Um, all right. So I know that you have a very specific guideline in your head of what a podcast length should be. This is so way I don't want to. Sorry, but you're you know this is that's that's on you. That's all on you. Okay. So I mean, you can't even complain. So what? Things that you do off the air that people might... I mean, Was the final word with the, the Mad Mike and Squeaky Maz your brainchild?
1: I don't know who originally thought it. It may have been even the producer before Jimmy Stewart. It may have been Be Real. Okay. Uh, came up with, like, you know, making Maz's voice squeaky. But, yeah, obviously... Uh,
0: you You've know, obviously taken it and, and made and, it a thing. And but.
1: Yeah, yeah, made it a thing. And, yeah, you know, they Believe me, I would like to change it up, but they don't want to change it. They well, want to you, do the same thing every week. You and, threw the puppets in there. Now uh, you can add puppeteer to the
0: list of so things that you're moderately good at.
1: At some point, I, I had a moment where I said, you know what show I really like was Crank
0: Yankers. <laughs>
1: yep. We could do like a Crank Yankers type of thing with the Felger and Maz Final Word. And So, yeah, we had the puppets made, and so doing that now, too.
0: You got that. Is it fair to say the station would just crumble if you missed a week? Oh, yeah. yeah. Ab- absolutely. One day at most. place can't function without me. How dare you? Well... You know, I think we I think we we surpassed your time limit. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to call it. Okay. With one more question. Yeah. Why don't you ever give me all your free golf stuff that you get for the golf club?
1: What free golf stuff do you want?
0: I could use like a set of irons real bad. Maybe like a couple dozen Pro V 1s, you know. What makes you think I get all that <laughs> stuff for free? <laughs> because you're the Radio Golf man. You are the one Radio Golf man. Occasionally I do have things uh, given to me. Sometimes they're just for a product test. Mm. Other times ta- they find their way into your basement.
1: Other times I, I do get things, but I may only get one of them. Mm-hmm. If 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 I get multiples of a thing in the future, uh, I will I will gladly hand them over to you. I really need a set of irons. That's just
0: really what it comes down. You to. You need
1: to go get fit. You really do. Yeah. Well, Don't. All,
0: all the giant golf stores are closing? You got to get them while you can. There's still places the internet, you can go get damn fit it.
1: for irons, or you know, check out you
0: know the Callaway demo days and fitting days. Like, and this go- is no, this is a no promo area here. <laughs> let's let's cool it with the with the with the product placement. I'm just saying the unless Epic- you're getting a free iron set. then I see what you're doing. No, no,
1: no. The 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 Callaway Epic Driver with the jailbreak technology is going to revolutionize
0: <laughs> the game. And the- oh, what's that? Your mic seemed to have cut out just then. <laughs> All right, thank you so much for the time. Thank you. Were you interesting? You were worried that your answer when I asked to be on. I think it was interesting. Yeah. You know, someday people will look back and say, "Rock radio, what a what a concept." People people did it. People played alternative rock on the radio.
1: Yeah, it was a good time. But I bet I think that time has passed for what we did and the way we did it. It'd be tough to do that again. The thing with BCN and all those other rock stations is that, like, there were only a a few TV stations and a few radio stations, 70s and 80s. So, if you want to know what was going on, you want to know right away, you had to turn on the radio. Now, there's a lot of ways of finding stuff Mm -hmm. out and finding music and doing all this stuff. So, I don't know. It was, you know, it was a moment in time. Mm -hmm. A long moment in time, but. It was, and it was great, but yeah,
0: here we are. Twitter ruined everything. Next week I'm going to interview you. Let's do it. Okay. The Hardy the Hardy edition. Yeah. The the Hot Rod Hot Rod Heart edition. Doing it. All righty there. So there's Mr. Hardy Mr. Hot Rod got a new nickname for him out of it. So I'm excited about that. uh, I I asked everything I wanted to ask. I really wanted to know about a lot of that history. And and being a rock DJ in Las Vegas in your late 20s, early 30s sounds like an interesting time. So uh, it was good to get a couple of those stories and you know, the, the BCN transition. You know, I was always a big BCN fan. So any story about BCN is always interesting to me. So I hope you enjoyed that. I know, I, I don't know what the right length of a podcast is. If the conversation's dead, then you kill it. If it's still going, then it goes on. And that one went on. So you know what, if you made it this far, I do appreciate it. I appreciate you checking it out at all. Uh, it's really a, a cool experience to have people say, Hey, I listen to your podcast. I never knew that that would be a cool feeling, but it is. So thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, feel free to, if you want, subscribe on iTunes, leave a nice review um, tell me how handsome or ugly I am, though I prefer the handsome ones, but that's up to you again, this is this is your world your podcast, I'm not here to tell you what to do uh, thank you again for checking it out thank you to Hardy for generously donating his time, I actually didn't pay him anything so that was nice of him to do and you know, I'll be back next week and I want to thank you one last time thank you, see you next week
1: I'm Dane Lobb, I'm a Public Safety Specialist with PG&E. If you encounter a downed power line, you need to stay away from it. Call 911, let our first responders come out and handle it. Police and fire will respond as well as PG&E. PG&E will make the scene safe.